National Veterinary Receptionist Week. April 24th through 30th is a time we set aside to celebrate those folks that welcome and discharge and bill out and do a ton of stuff this week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And Becky, we're ready to celebrate National Veterinary Receptionist Week coming up soon. (laughs) Our veterinary receptionists, you guys, we don't celebrate them enough. So I am really excited. In our five years, Dr. Ernie, we have not covered this. We've not talked about this. We've not been privy to this. And so... Uh, we owe them five years worth of celebration, in my opinion. We do, although I think it's kind of a newer thing, at least. So I don't, I mean, hey, we're doing our best, but I, I only really became aware of this last year. So if it was going on prior to 2021, folks, let me know. I apologize. But I became aware last year, as, as we both did, Becky, because we realized, oh, we realized we that we it. missed yes. it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, first of all, I want to tell you it is it's always held the last week in April. That's kind of what they're doing to celebrate it, right? Uh, you can also visit a website that I encourage you to check out if you just need some links. Uh, you know, there's basically just tells you what it is, but it's veterinaryreceptionistweek.com. So there's that. But Becky, today we want to talk about really the contributions that all of those receptionists, CSRs, whatever we want to call them. And I do want to talk about the nomenclature as well. We want to talk about how beneficial they are to the entire veterinary team. Well, how long is this podcast? Because (laughs) I could go on for days about how beneficial they are. And there a lot of the things I think I have to say about CSRs, my preferred term for them, is cliché. Because cliches are a thing for a reason. They're the front line of your business. I mean, that's the most cliche statement, but oh my gosh, if it's not the most true thing in the world. And if you are listening to this and you don't think that you have lost clients or got clients because of the person who ended up on the phone with them, you're out of your mind. They make or break that initial experience for our clients every time. And then they're the last person they see before they head out the door most of the times. They're make or break for our business. Yeah, they really are. And Becky, I've I've said it for for years and years in lectures, the fact that, you know what, clients will stick with a bad vet, but they will leave a bad staff. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like if they're, if they feel like they're being judged or being treated rudely up front in particular, Becky, they're bolting for the door. Oh, 100%. 100%. Because they really are the person between the, the client and the doctor. And I think that's what can feel very frustrating is... You know, um, I I know sometimes in my own experiences, hearing from clients, you know, they feel like something's very important and the the receptionist can't get them in. And they're like, I don't think she understands how important this is or X, Y, or Z. I mean, they're that frontline communication. And that's, that's for everybody. As a technician, I count on the notes that they take. I count on their ability to make the schedule. I mean, they really and truly are foundational. Yeah. And they set the the tone and I think and the mood for the day in a lot of ways because of the ability that they have, the way they manage the schedule, the way they can work with clients. I mean, I don't know that we often think about the experiences that they've put in before the client even gets to us. Oh, right, right. And they do set the tone. Like, honestly, the personality, the vibe that you feel when you walk into the vet clinic, it's typically set by those folks up front. And of course, they're getting that directly from their leadership. So it's really important. The first thing I want to talk to you about, Becky, though, really is this evolution in nomenclature. And you already 
brought up one thing, like you have a slightly different preferred term. So, you know, guys, when we talk about veterinary receptionist, I will say there has been a trend in the business literature to sort of go away from that terminology. And I, I think there's a couple of good reasons why. Number one, they are a lot more than just a person who receives you in the lobby, right? I mean, these are people that are full on answering questions, booking, billing, I mean, doing a wide variety of roles and tasks. So receptionist may be limiting. I don't know. That's kind of what we've got. So Becky brought up, you know, the customer service um, um, representative is CSR is what a lot of people call them. We actually called them client coordinators back in our day. But Becky, what about some of the terminology that we just use around this position? I mean, that's a little confusing for many. I think it is confusing, but at the end of the day, we all know what they are. That's, I right, think, the difference, right, right, right? Is receptionist or front desk gal. That's what, you right, know, that's right. what you hear so much from the clients. But um, they all do mean the same thing. And the funny thing about it is, though, is I don't think we even pay attention to how much it is that they really are responsible for up there. Um, but the nomenclature, I think, is important for me. I don't know why I go for, see, I, I guess I want to say I've, I've made a transition ignorantly um, because I do think re- receptionist is sort of like a sort of like flight attendant or stewardess or, yeah, you know, like yeah. you just kind of have these, they're sort of gender bias, I think. And um, they do so much more than reception because to me, right, a receptionist right. is just someone who says, hello, they, I receive you. But f- for these guys, they really are our customer service representatives, but they, they are organizers, their liaisons, their educators, their sales people, they really truly have an incredibly diverse role we undersell. Yeah. And Laura, you know, my wife came up with the term client coordinator early in our career. And and she felt like these were the people that actually had to do with making sure the client was taken care of, right? Like she kind of said the pet patient was more like for our veterinary technicians and veterinarians, if you will, you know, of course, other people as well. But but she felt like the clients were primarily being handled either on the phone, email text, you know, in the lobby, whatever, by this other person called the CSR receptionist, whatever, client coordinator. So I think, you know, if, if you're out there, viewfinders, I'd like to hear what you call your front staff, your receptionist, your CSRs or client coordinators, because I do think the terminology matters. Matters. We've talked about this a lot in terms of veterinary assistant versus veterinary technician. We've also talked about this in terms of veterinary technician versus nurse, which is a whole nother ball of wax. But you know, Becky, the, the terms do matter. I think they matter a whole lot. I think they matter <laughs> not just in B. Be- I-, I think what really matters is how they're received, right? So I think right. it's, it really comes down to what do you want to be called? What is all encompassing for you? Um, does it bother you to be called a receptionist? Does, do you want to be called a customer service rep? Do you want to be called front desk coordinator? Like, what right. is it? Um, I think oftentimes we don't include them in that quote unquote labeling for their job description or um, or person. But I think we really need to think about what they want. Um, I don't know that it makes a big difference, but I also think words count. You know, I do. And so I think it's worth, and I think it also matters how you say it. I've heard the word receptionist said so frequently with a connotation of condescending, like lower educated, lower in the hospital. Like me, if I say receptionist, please know I'm putting you up on a big high pedestal. I'm putting you 10 foot above me. You are the amazing people who make the day run. Um, but yeah, I think I think we don't ask them, what do you want to be called? What makes you comfortable? And whatever it is, whatever you're calling them, make sure people know what they do. And that's, I think, the most important part. Right. Okay. So names, I think that's something that's important. Bears a little more discussion. I'd love to maybe, you know, we'd, we'd like to invite anybody from the Veterinary Receptionist Week 
committee or whatever, you know, to talk to us because we'd love to, to explore this further. The second thing I want to point out is that, you know, Becky, a lot of times they are sort of viewed as, as, as lower on the hierarchy, you know, if I can be candid about this, by the managers and owners. And they, they, they sort of feel like, I, I feel like I hear this, you know, if we lose a receptionist, it's not the end of the world, but I can't lose a tech or a, or a doctor. And I, I'm going to caution you about that type of attitude because I will tell you when clients walk in and they see a new fresh face every time, they start to say, whoa, every time it's somebody different. Yes. That's not, not good. Not good. No, it, you're you're right. It, it, it's so if you have said you, oh my gosh, I'm so shook that you just said that. Like, and I think you're right that people do say that, but I'm like, no, you can't. No, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're super wrong because right, you're right. Like that turnover is people. Listen, I want you to know my dog. I want you to know me. I want you to know you know that she doesn't want to go in room two because something bad happened in room right, two, and, right. and that's that. I want you to know that Doctor Jones is her favorite doctor, and Doctor, you know, Smith is is not, you know, I want you to know that like she hates her nail trims, but she loves these treats. Like I want you to, I want my pet to be really important to you. Right. And I know that that's asking a lot. It really is, but it's what I want for my pets. And so when I walk into a place and it's a face I've never seen before, and I have to explain everything from square one, like that becomes so cumbersome and, and trying that, you're you absolutely cannot afford to lose anyone in your clinic. And if you think right. that you can and you're weighing one rule against another, replace yourself, in my opinion, right. because right. <laughs> truthfully, you are doing more damage not seeing the value of every single individual in that clinic. But but um, I think as a whole, we undersell our our customer service representatives. Uh, we undertrain them. We underappreciate them and we underconceive what they do and the impact they have on our clients. I mean. And I've said this before, I think we leave them out of the other emotional important situations in the clinic because we don't realize, but these guys have great relationships with our clients, uh, the best, really. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about their roles and responsibilities, but I do want to go back to this turnover issue just a little bit more. Guys, you know, I've been doing this a long time, and even going back to the late 90s, 1999 specifically, when we did, we did the AVMA KPMG mega study, which you know, I was a part of that team, and you know, Becky, we kept finding when we were polling pet parents out there, of course, we didn't call them pet parents back then. They were just clients and pet owners, but they kept saying continuity of care. Like they wanted to see the same vet over and over. And I remember going into those meetings and saying, you know what? I think that's what the the pet parent is saying, but honestly, they just want to see a familiar face, right? So, I mean, I I do think the vet is probably the, the key to this continuity of care, but also I'll tell you that if they see a different face up front every time, that's also going to erode their confidence in the, in the, business. So, you know, I just, I want us to be careful. Like I I'm with you, Becky, we need to try to keep these people, you know, in place as long as possible. We need to do everything possible to make their working conditions ideal and pay them well, which I'm going to get to that in the very end. But Becky, anything else about like that turnover aspect? Because again, like you said, you can't afford to lose anybody. If you have that attitude, you need to check yourself. But really, I think it's very important up front too. I think it's I think it's incredibly I think one thing we don't think about with the turnover is the training and maybe it's a separate yeah, topic right. but we don't I don't feel train the our folks at the front nearly as well as they need to be um one we we I've seen some pretty creative system training so like here's how you enter a name and here how you look it up and it's all very mechanical right but I, I mean these are the people who have to figure out how important it, uh, well, I guess what I should say is that the people who need to know when to transfer a call to a technician, but also when not to, 
they need to know, oh, your your cat's squinting? Uh, absolutely, we need to see you, X, Y, or Z, right. whatever. Right. I mean, they actually have to have a ton of knowledge. They have to have so much knowledge. They have to know how long it takes to do a certain procedures. They have to learn, you know, that Dr. So-and-so and such-and-such and who's he what's. So right. when you're talking about replacing them and you're talking about simply switching out their I-9s, you are really not thinking about like the amount of time it will take for that individual to become acclimated into a way that they are functionally contributing to the clinic in a productive way. That they're not having to ask everybody how long this takes or when do we schedule this or what do we do for this and what do we do for that? And if you think that they're quick to replace, you're either not training them sufficiently or you have no idea what they do. Yeah. And that's, that's an important point, you know, viewfinders, the fact that you have to train your CSRs, your receptionists, your client coordinators, you have to train them robustly. You have to give them basic didactic knowledge. You have to give them some training and communication and conflict resolution, all those things. Like, like I'm telling you, if you invest in that front staff, it is going to pay you back in spades. I mean, it is, it is really important to do that. And, and Becky, let's talk a little bit about that responsibility. You hinted at it just a second ago, but you know, I think that we're training becomes so essential for a CSR, it's because they know where the boundaries are, right? You already mentioned that about when to pass the phone call off versus, hey, I can answer that question for you. So um, let me talk about some of the roles and responsibilities that you see for veterinary receptionists. I mean, I think the funny thing about the roles and responsibilities is so much of them are inherent as opposed to like written in the playbook because they they need to check people in. They need to check people out. They need to schedule. They need right. to do all of those very hard things. But they're also the ones who kind of read the client's face. They're also the ones who keep them sort of busy and occupied in the reception area. They're the ones who keep that area clean. They're the ones who kind of either make or break the day for the employees, but also the client, right, that needs to right. feels that they really need to be seen. And I think that they have a responsibility of basically what I would summarize as balance. You know, they are the sort of the scale that measures out our day and they have to find the balance between what absolutely must be seen, what we potentially could lose to another clinic because they have to go somewhere else and what, what will overwhelm their veterinarians and their teams. Yeah. And again, you guys have to decide like what, where those roles and responsibilities lie within your own team. But I can tell you, if you train your, your receptionist, they can handle a lot of point of care questions, right? Like, because let's face it, it goes down a couple of different ways. And these are the type types of things that cause a lot of friction within a clinic. Number one, a phone call comes in and it's a basic medical question. It's like, I, do I give the heart? I I forgot the heartworm preventive last month. You know, do I give it again? Something that simple, right? Well, if you haven't trained that receptionist, let me tell you all they can do is go, uh, let me find out for you. They go to the back, they pull a vet tech aside and the vet techs rolling their eyes going, Oh my gosh, you can't answer this most basic question. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that always happens, but it could. And that's just one of those areas where, you know, you start to build up a barrier between two people. And this is that, you know, colloquial front versus the back drama that you and I have talked about so many times, uh, Becky. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, let's say that you're billing out, right? So the appointment's done, the tech and the vet have discharged them. They walk up front and they have a simple question like, wait, when do I start this medication? Right? I, again, 
that's something that you can train. So, you know, I, Becky, you, you get, I just think they're so valuable. And if you fail at either one of those ends, right? Because number one, the client's like, why can't they answer that basic question? Number one, it makes them feel bad. But number two, if they're then met with sort of this, this attitude and tension from the vet tech or the vet, they're asking the question that makes them less reluctant to, to try to help in the future. Is that making sense? Oh, 100% it makes sense. That's right. That's a whole shaming culture thing, right? Where yeah. they're like, now I'm afraid. Now I'm going to Google it and see if I can help the client because I right, don't want to bother right. the technician or the doctor. They Good made me point. feel stupid. Yeah. Or I'm just going to shut them. Like, oh, I don't know. I, it should be on the label. Uh, right, it's, right. You know, it'll be in your notes. Uh, I'll have the tech call you. Right. I mean, because they have a million ways to put you off, right? They right. There's so many ways to get you out from in front of them and not to deal with it. And even just that, hang on, I'll check thing, I'm fine with that. But I also am like, time feels of the essence here, right? Like, you put me on hold and I'm worried about my pet. It's like, I am used to a nurse's line, right? If I have kids, I have a phone number I can pick up and call the nurse directly and speak directly to the nurse and not have to go through the receptionist. And that's what we want in this day and age. It's what we're used to. It's where the whole telehealth thing is coming in because that's what people want. Right. So. In in the meantime, and, and, and what I find are the customer service reps who are, have these capabilities are just the ones that have been there so long. Right. They've right. absorbed this knowledge, not because it's been well distributed or accurately training them or regularly training them. I mean, I even think about our lunch and learns where they're sitting answering the phones and not even getting to participate and learn yeah. in the basic Heartworm product or Flea and Tick product, you know. We are not including these guys nearly enough in anything that we do so that they have the full package of knowledge and and they're a huge part of the team. You know, oftentimes I see kennel folks sitting through lunch and learns that CSRs aren't allowed to attend. Right, right. Well, and that's interesting you bring that up because I just got back from lecturing at BSAVA in, in England. And one of our sessions, so we, I had two days of lectures. And so one of the sessions we did was a panel discussion on CSRs. Now they use that terminology. They said they preferred that when I actually started this panel discussion. I was like, let's talk about nomenclatures. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they wanted to talk. But, but one of the things that I found interesting, we got a question because I was talking about training, 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 intentional, deliberate training systems, you know, phase training for receptionists, for, you know, CSRs, right? And I got a question from the audience. This person was like, well, look, you know, normally we don't have our CSRs attend our staff training or our weekly meetings. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, but I think it's more pervasive than we think. And, and you know, um, I guess we just always viewed that one of the ways to build harmony and teamwork was to train everybody as equally as possible. Now, obviously, we knew that vet techs and vets would have a different level of, of information and knowledge and skills, but we also wanted to make sure that our receptionists knew how heartworm preventive worked or what happened during a spay or neuter or dentist, dentistry, right? I mean, so I think you can really, I think you can avoid a lot of these problems, this friction front versus back just by doing some training. But again, that means just like Becky said, you know what, when you have the lunch and learns, get them included. I I mean, why wouldn't you? I know. And uh, that uh, that whole training thing with them gets me really frustrated. And then on top of that, um, I would say another really important thing we can do is ask them, like, because they are the observers, the seers, the knowers. They know that this technician, you know, does not want three nail trims in a row because she's got to have time to sweep the floor so she doesn't kneel on the nail bits. That's a real thing, by the way. Kneeling on nail bits is painful. It's painful. No doubt. Um, (laughs) You know, whatever it is, you know, they're the ones that really have, I think, the pulse on the clinic in a big way. And so when you're hiring, I think they're a great 
individual to ask how they think the person would fit in with the team. When when you are doing training, when you are brainstorming, I mean, if you're looking for problems, yeah. these guys know what they are. Yeah, they know sure. the problems. They know the solutions. They hear everything because it all comes through them. So the truth is they are the roots of your clinic. They've got a little bit of extension in every single area and they're, they're essential. You know, um, if you don't have the roots, your tree is going to fall right over. Well, speaking of trees and roots, that means they need water and sunlight and mm-hmm. nutrients. So let's talk about pay and benefits, Becky. I mean, because this is one of those areas also that I think leads to high turnover in this position. It leads to friction between team members, right? I mean, because they're disrespected and so forth. But let's talk about pay and, and benefits. Yeah, I think pay is an interesting thing when we talk about CSRs, because I I don't know that we're talking about what most people consider to be a lifelong professional role. Right. I think most of our CSRs, I I will say they're one of two things, right? They're either kind of an entryway into a hospital or just like a, a job to have. A lot of times I think it's like, oh, this client is really nice. She's been here forever. She started helping at the front desk and now she works right, here. Right. I've seen that a million times. And then there's a front desk lady that works that's been there for 72 years because literally she loves it. She loves the clients. She loves the people. And she is like CSR made of gold because like she literally loves it and it's her jam and it's all she wants to do. Right. But I think a lot of times it becomes sort of a gateway where, you know, oh, I was hired as a veterinary receptionist in high school. And then I started helping out in the back. And then, you know, I became an assistant and then I started working in the back full time. And so I almost feel like, it's not always treated as its own professional position so much as just like I need somebody to answer the phones and then that person could potentially fit in anywhere in the clinic with time. And because of that, I think it decreases the professionalism of the role, decreases, therefore, the pay and benefits. Um, you know, and I, I think that's a place where we get into trouble. I think additionally, as time goes, we're going to continue to have insurance claims. And, you know, we already have these right, systems that are right. working within ours that are integrated and they're filing claims or claims processors. And we're going to have right. things like that. So so I personally think that they're probably not obviously paid like they should be. But I think a lot of this is a mentality situation. I don't think we treat and pay them or even think of them as professionals I think we think of them as almost like a holding place in the clinic to just like answer the phones and get things done. I don't think we really treat them as this is like very important role that is, you know, adjacent to every other important role in the clinic. Right. And and again, we know that CSRs aren't licensed professionals, right? They're not like vet techs and veterinarians, but they serve an important role. That's what we're trying to say. Like, I, they, they make you a success. I will just tell you from owning clinics, like that front staff image, the way they communicate makes all the difference in the world with how much uh, people keep coming back (laughs) and and what they tell their friends and so forth. Because again, this is the first person they see and the last person that they see. They kind of control the whole mood as we've discussed. But getting back to the pay, Becky, I mean, again, if you are sitting there in a situation, you're going, wow, you know, we do turn over a lot of receptionists every year. Like we go through two or three. I would say the first thing to do is look at your compensation package, right? The second thing is to look at training. The third is look at inner office relationships. Like those three things right there will tell you all you need to know about turnover in most situations. Situations. And and quite frankly, Becky, a lot of times they're just being so underpaid that no matter what, you know, they're just like, this sucks. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, so so it's it's tough. The other thing too is Becky touched on this, but I want to 
I think this is one of those rare times in, in the profession where I talk about, I'm always about pathways, Becky, right? We're always like, one of the reasons that vet techs just, you know, they, we don't have the numbers that we need is because they're like, it's a dead end. Well, for a CSR, a lot of times, as Becky mentioned, there are individuals that this is their jam, as she said, like, this is what they love. And, you know, they aren't interested in becoming a, a vet tech or a veterinarian or whatever, right? You know, so, so I think you also have to embrace these people, pay them well, respect them, treat them with, you know, with just like you would any other member of your team. And I really think you need to understand that there are some people out there that, gosh, they, they will do this for 20 years. I've got them. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are, there are still receptionists that work at our clinics that were working there, you know, long before we sold our clinics. Oh, absolutely. I, and, and I think that's exactly it is that those, those ones made of gold, they're actually like family friends. I mean, like, right. They're the right, ones that you're right. like, Oh, I babysat my kids when I had to bring them to work when I was sick and hide them under the front desk. Or, right, right. you know, I can't think of how many have actually puppy sat for me, you know, yeah, when I have yeah. a puppy coming in or, um, you know, you put a litter of puppies, you don't have time to watch or kittens, you know, and they're up there doing, I mean, Honestly, the thing about it is, is any good employee is made of gold. But just because these guys are out of sight all day, we forget that they are really like gold plated platinum <laughs> silver sitting in bronze. Like, That's they're, right. you know what I mean? That they're so important and invaluable. And and honestly, they continue to do so and be so without us making them feel that way. When potentially some of your licensed staff are marching around the clinic feeling entitled because they are such. Right. And I'll tell you too, they're the real secret. They've got so many superpowers, but one of the superpowers that a good receptionist has to have to, in order to work for you and a great clinic is they've got to have this just exuding compassion. Like they just have to ooze love and care and, and concern. Right. So, I mean, I think that when I walk into vet clinics and it's cold and sterile and not welcoming, you know, I don't blame the receptionist. I blame the leadership straight up. Right. You know, so, I mean, they, they are, you need to create a system where basically that receptionist, you know, can just say, oh my gosh, I'm here to help. How do I help you? You know? And again, I think that's leadership. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about today, Becky, before we get into pay, because again, I think, you know, they're underpaid and, and don't have benefits and all that stuff. But I think that I, I want to just touch on the fact that, you know, if they stick around, like if you've got a receptionist that's been with you 5, 10, 20 years, like Becky said, they become a member of the extended family. And I will tell you that what I have seen is they have helped me manage difficult cases more than once, right? So mean, meaning that I have a client who's coming in, it's a difficult situation, right? Maybe it's a terminal condition or a really expensive procedure or something like that. I can tell you that there have been more times than not where that receptionist has a unique relationship and and that client likes like, so Susie, what do you think about all this? Right. And that receptionist, that's where they really start to prove their worth. Does that make sense? I get, oh, you know, absolutely. Getting... Well, that's right. Cause they're trust building, right? You know, right, Cause when right. if the client calls and says, do you really, do you think she needs to be seen? Do you think this is a problem? Mm -hmm. Do you think I need that med? Do you think right. they, if you don't think your clients are up there running the treatment plan past every <laughs> right, single right. person they can, cause that's how we process, right? That's this right. isn't about questioning you. This is about processing. They're going to ask the lady at the grocery store. They're going to ask the lady at the gas station. Yep. They're going to ask everybody, but they're going to start with your CSR and they're going to ask them because they're the one that see the success or the not success, you know, and I can, I hear these conversations say like, you know, Dr. Smith is in a million of these surgeries. I, everyone that I've seen has been really happy. They did it. There's been really good outcomes. That's what I'm looking for as a pet parent. Like I need that. And, and they have some kind of 
way about them that I trust them and that I I do think that they're telling me the truth, you know? And yeah. and so absolutely they will they are the ones that are people are and and if you think you're the only one getting asked about funny things at the grocery store when you run into a client, you're so wrong. <laughs> they know your CSRs and they're asking them too. So when when people think of so and so vet clinic, they're the CSR, the person that answers the phone, the person that they talk to. That's honestly probably who's going to pop in their mind first. It's who they spend the most time with. We just don't remember that. Wow. Well, we want you to remember Veterinary Receptionist Week, April 24th through 30th, 2022. And don't forget, October, we get the Vet Techs Week. So two different things, two great, great roles. But Viewfinders, how are you going to celebrate Veterinary Receptionist Week? Like, are you going to have some parties? You're going to have some recognition? You're going to do some social media outreach? We really want to hear your ideas because this is, again, one of those areas that we really need to just go a little bit extra to say thank you, thank you, thank you, because I'm telling you, our veterinary receptionists make our jobs as vet techs and veterinarians so much better. Absolutely. If you haven't already and you don't tell them thank you every single day, you should be. <laughs> but this is a time to really be just celebrating, having some fun. Remind your clinic, please include your clinic in this. I have worked in clinics where the office manager takes care of the receptionist on or CSRs on a special day. And just don't forget your whole team probably wants to be a part of saying thank you. Um, and and we want to be a part of say, saying thank you. So uh, honestly, to all you CSRs out there, thank you. Thank you for what you do and for making our job a little better every day. That's right. So you can use the hashtag veterinary receptionist week on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to show your pride and and how grateful you are for your reception. So again, Viewfinders, thank you so much for listening. We're closing in on five and a half years now, so thanks for putting up with us. But don't forget, National Veterinary Receptionist Week, April 24th through 30th. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.